0: Hello, and welcome to the Potshot Podcast, an Arsenal podcast for nerds. I'm Alex Towles, and I'm always joined, as always joined, by Alex Collins. See, John, this is why I write these things down. <laughs> Hi. <laughs> and we are joined by John McKenzie. Hello, John. Hello. Now, normally we do a thing where I'd introduce the person that's our guest on the podcast, but with John, I feel like the only person who's listening to this who does not know who John McKenzie is is my mum so mum just so you know John works for this company called The Athletic uh specifically Tifo Football who are part of The Athletic making YouTube videos and podcasts about football for everyone really
1: yeah I actually know your mum quite well so I don't think you'll need that intro <laughs> cheers John <laughs> <laughs>
0: Uh, today on the pod we are going to be discussing the Liverpool game before having a look at the wider context of Arsenal in big games because in previous years we've been pretty rubbish at them, but this year, and the last couple games at least, we've been pretty good. Uh, and then we'll get onto a little bit of discussion of the Leeds game because of course John is a Leeds fan and we will not be talking about the Bodo Glimp game because we don't have time. There is no time for talking about the Bodo Glimp game. Sorry, Bodo Glimp. Uh, we will be sprinkling your questions throughout. We asked on Twitter for your questions, and they will just be dotted through the podcast as and when we feel appropriate. Uh, and before we get into it, it's probably a good time to mention that we are now finally on Apple Podcasts and by extension, PodFollow. Uh, I'm sorry, iPhone users, that this took me so long, but it was like a whole half an hour of admin that i found time for this week as opposed to any other week so you're welcome it's there now please go and subscribe to us we are as you're aware because you're listening the Pot Shop podcast john alex and i have had seven episodes to ramble on about our thoughts on arsenal uh
1: so what are yours yeah, well, I've had plenty of time to ramble on about my thoughts on Arsenal so far this season. I've covered them a fair amount. I'm actually doing a video on Arsenal next week, uh, a sort of big take on why Arsenal are better. And I've thoroughly enjoyed Arsenal this season. I have been getting on the Arteta hype train, I suppose, gradually over the course of last season. Um I used to hate Mikel Arteta. And I really didn't understand what he was trying to do. I really didn't like the football that he was producing. And a lot of people have said to me that I am results-pilled because now I like <laughs> him. Uh, because because obviously Arsenal are doing well. But I've seen a lot of improvements. I think the first improvement I saw was out of possession. So I think we're going to talk about that a little bit later. Uh, but I really, really enjoyed a lot of his out of possession stuff. And then um, over the course of last season, I think we started seeing some ideas in possession that were, were really useful for making Arsenal a lot more flexible. And this season, that flexibility has continued. They brought in, obviously, a number of players, personnel who've allowed them to become even more flexible. They've raised their talent ceiling as well. And the agglomeration of all of those things has made Arsenal one of the teams to beat in the Premier League this season. So I'm very much looking forward to chatting to you guys about it today.
2: And we're excited to chat about it with you. So I think we'll start off with basically, what did you think of the Liverpool game?
1: So I think the Liverpool game was an interesting one for two reasons. So I'd probably talk about it in terms of out of possession and in possession, because I'm a generalist and, um, uh, yeah, I'm not very <laughs> creative at coming up with better ways, but out of possession, you've got a fair amount written in the running order here, but, um, I thought Arsenal were really quite aggressive in the press. Um, when they came out and it was very much I say a ball oriented man to man press uh, which is something we've seen quite a bit over the last couple of seasons so I thought that was quite fascinating seeing that actually Arsenal were brave enough to come out against a team like Liverpool and uh, and press them high up obviously it leaves you exposed because if you go man for man out of the structure that you play in against a team like Liverpool you end up pushing Saka central uh, a little bit more, and that leaves the fullback on that side um, free, and so you see Ben White jumping to to make sure that if the ball does go that side you 're not leaving a free man, uh, and that does i suppose leave you exposed at the back, uh, but it didn 't seem to cause any problems particularly in the game um, and I thought, yeah, in general obviously the um the aggressive press calmed down a little bit, I think maybe around the fifteen minute twenty minute mark um, i didn 't Watch out particularly for that. But that's a sort of standard thing, I think, that um, you'll come out against a team like that and you'll be aggressive in your press and then you get the goal early on. And so you'll be happy to conserve your energy. And it became a little bit more mid blocky, a little bit more 4 4 2 mid block um, for the rest of the time. But um, thought that that aspect worked fairly well. And then in terms of the build up play, um, we talked a lot about flexibility already, but I thought the decision to go with a flat back four and uh, to go with Tommy Asu and Ben White as those fullbacks, so probably more defensively minded players. Um I thought that was that was interesting because I think Liverpool were going for a bit more of a four triple two kind of counter press. And by just sitting flat and deep it meant that you're pulling out pretty much Salah and uh, Diaz and just making their four triple two press into more of a four-two-four, and then trying to exploit the the wide areas, get the ball on one side and play it to the other. You particularly um, dealt with, well, targeting Trent Alexander-Arnold pretty well, I think. So um, one of the things that the Liverpool were doing is they were pushing Simicas forward and there was space in behind him to be exploited um, because obviously they were doing that. The, the fullback has to jump a little bit as well if you're uh, going for an aggressive press and um, yeah, got into that space. And what then happens is that Liverpool then were a player out of their back line and it just meant that Virgil van Dijk pulls across and then you have, um, Mattip playing as basically the right sided centre back and then Trent Alexander Arnold as the left sided centre back and then an empty space at the back post. And I thought, I mean, that's where the first goal came from, really, that you just exposed that, um, that weakness at the back, uh, as well. So yeah, that's what I thought were, were the, the interesting things. Um, the decision to approach with a, with an aggressive high press and then the decision to s- stay with a flat back four when we've seen a lot of inversion from your, fullbacks in particular and build-up. So I think this is what I'm really liking about Mikel Arteta is that he has developed this system where you can identify the weaknesses of an opposition system and you have the tools at your disposal to be able to break those down.
2: Yeah, I have to admit, I've I've kind of been wrong about how we were going to approach the big game in every occasion this season, maybe less so for the Liverpool one. But I mean, one of the big things I've kind of noticed is how... In past big games, we've always been a lot more conservative in terms of how we defend out of possession than we have this season, which has kind of been a a big thing, just how much Arteta seems to back his system overall. I mean, he's always spoken about wanting to be a high-press coach, but I don't think that's come through in the big games where he's kind of preferred to kind of keep it tight, kind of um, prevent teams from really breaking down our defense rather than actually catching them high and, you know, kind of hitting them. So... So, yeah, it's it's interesting to see like how we've approached it in each game this season. Um, one thing I kind of ha- do pick up though is that I I wanted to kind of gauge whether you think that us kind of dropping off we did kind of drop off around the fifteenth minute um, into more of a mid block and obviously it allowed what I kind of viewed as the big thing coming in is we wanted to kind of stop them getting to getting the ball to Tiago because once he kind of gets on the ball everything kind of runs through that guy. I think he's kind of their most important player at this point, I would say. Do you think it was kind of purposeful that we were happy to allow them to get the ball to Thiago? Or do you not think that we kind of wanted to keep it going? Because there has been this trend where we do, and it's not just against the big teams, it's also against the smaller teams, where even now when we're playing really good football, where we do kind of drop off at times, and it doesn't feel to me like it's totally intentioned. Maybe this game it was a bit more, but in general.
1: Yeah, I think... A couple of things to say. One is that I think Tiago's movement was quite fluid anyway, so he was often dropping out of of the area where you might want him to, and especially in that um, your right hand side. So that's the area where there's a certain amount of um, questions raised about the the way that you're going man to man. Anyway, right? So you've got you've got Saka sitting between the centre back and the full back, uh, and then you've got Ben White, who's going to get triggered by. Saka pulling onto the centre-back in particular, leaving the full-back free, so he's going to push up there as well. With Thiago dropping into that space as well, it just adds another player into that mix that can theoretically, I guess, drag your players around and, and cause overloads in those sorts of areas. Um And I think that's just what you're going to accept is going to happen if you drop into that four four two 4 2 mid-block. You're just going to say, okay, we'll give Thiago the ball, but he will be Fairly deep in their, in their structure. We'll, we'll try and close him down to an extent, but we're not too worried about him getting on the ball. Um, and I agree with you. I think he did actually, um, prove to be the fulcrum in a lot of their build up play. Uh, actually, in the first half, I thought they built up not particularly well, but they, they had some quite dangerous attacks down on the, on the, on, on your left hand side. Possibly because Salah's on that side, but also possibly because I think maybe it was the more defensively weak side, particularly with Gabriel on that side. Um, and one of the things I've talked about a lot this season is how I think the, the big area where Arsenal really need to improve is, uh, what I call backwards defending. Um, so obviously when you're playing like a high possession system, uh, with, with sort of positional ideas, you're always going to leave yourself open to that, um, to that possibility of defensive transition, um, and, and problems in that area. And we've seen. The fullback inversions, which often, you know, just give you a little bit more solidity in the central areas, allow space in the wide areas, etc. Uh, allow these the, uh, allow yourself the best chance of getting into a nice structure on the way back. But obviously, by playing a flat back four, you weren't able to to get into those areas quite so quite so well. You weren't even trying to get into those areas, so it felt as though maybe the the ball into those into those wider areas actually caused uh, a few problems. And um yeah, I think. <laughs> With your personnel, um, that back line, like in terms of what I call backwards defending. So that is defending when you're running back to goal. I don't think Gabriel's particularly good at that. Um, not least because I think he's quite an aggressive defender. So he often steps up and then is out of position, which I think happened sort of for the first goal. Um, it was a little bit sloppy, uh, in, in many respects as well. But actually, if you break down that goal and look at it, In slow motion I think there's a point at which I think it's I mean it is two on two so they've got they have got you into a situation where it is um essentially centre-backs defending one v one um but I do feel as though from the situation where it comes from it's far too easily opened up in, in that respect as well um so yeah I think I there was a lot of attacks going down that Area. I didn't think Liverpool generated that many dangerous moments from them. And that's always the big question, right? It, you're, you're, you know you're going to allow those sorts of situations, especially against a team like Liverpool. The question is, how many dangerous moments are you allowing through those um, situations? And I felt, broadly speaking, that Arsenal did quite well um, in that respect. Um, yes, I think your penalty was quite soft uh, but I think in terms of the, the threatening scenarios that both teams created I thought Arsenal were getting into much more dangerous areas and I wouldn't have been surprised if you'd have generated a few more really big chances from the situations you were in versus Liverpool where it felt a little bit more like the two big chances they generated I mean the big chance they generated was the Nunez goal the Firmino chance I think was like really well taken. Um it was a little bit of a of a lucky goal in many respects I think because when you actually see the the play there's about three or four players around um Jota I think it is who plays the the pass yeah. uh, and obviously Saliba steps forward the ball's played in behind and then it's clipped in at the back post a really neat finish. So uh, yeah, I I I felt that it's easy to sort of look at that game and think Oh you know we 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 dropped off the press a little bit sorry this is a really roundabout way of answering the question but the, we dropped off the press a little bit and then they looked a little bit more dangerous well yeah i think so but that's that's also part and parcel of what you're trying to do you're trying to you you're not trying to allow those moments but you're trying to situate yourself in such a way and structure yourself in such a way that you don't actually face too much of a, of an attacking threat from those moments and i felt that largely speaking that was true
2: Okay, I think that's fair. I think the one other thing is that you spoke a lot about sort of that defending with, you called it backwards defending, I guess I call it like defending on the retreat, whatever you really want to call it. I think one thing is obviously Saliba is incredibly important to that. I think he's probably one of the best, I guess, if we call it backwards defenders in, I mean, in football. I mean, how much do you think that changes if we don't actually have him in the team? Because I don't think it's just... I guess I think I'm always there and you've probably heard a couple of pods that I'm kind of there as like Gabriel's defender, but it's also a pretty hard job to do because we do play that high line. And I think we kind of need a centre-back that kind of, I mean, we probably need two who can actually defend going back towards goal like that. I mean, if we look at the first goal, it was, <clears throat> sorry, it was a mistake from Gabriel, right? But it's also kind of one of those mistakes where you kind of think this is like the limit of what the player can probably do. I mean, I wouldn't hold it too much against him because he's just not one of the best defenders there is.
1: Yeah. I think one of the big differences this season is that you've got Saliba instead of Ben White in that right-hand side spot. And look, I absolutely love Ben White and always will do for his escapades in in Alicia, (laughs) but he is not a particularly great backwards defender. He's not a great defender in transition. He's not a great uh, one-to-one defender when he's facing his own goal as well. Um, And, yeah, the idea that you can then just push him out into a into that right back slot and then have Saliba next to him I think makes a huge difference on that side. Uh barely anything came I think for Liverpool in the game through that side and I think that's testament to how good those two are. Gabriel I'm less wedded to. I don't look he, I'm I'm sure Arsenal fans have a soft spot for him but he's probably the player who you can most obviously upgrade um in the starting 11 and Again, it's one of those, it's one of those ones where it could be the same situation that you've seen with Saliba coming in at the right center back slot, slot is that you, you sort of think, well, actually we brought in someone who's better in those sorts of scenarios, um, who we don't have to try and cover up his downside, um, in quite the same way and, and. Yeah, you you never look back in that in that situation. So, yeah, look, he's perfectly serviceable for you. Obviously, you've got a decent way uh, into the season and and you're top of the league. So it's not like the worst thing in the world. But I do think he is the maybe the the weak spot.
2: No, I definitely agree with that. I mean, he he kind of makes minor mistakes every game that you kind of think like, ooh, this could even in the Liverpool game. I think there was one where he kind of gets the ball caught under his feet, um, and just clears it in time. But like, hmm. it easily could have gone to Jota and then you know, it's another highlight reel sort of thing. Yeah. Um, the one other thing I think before we move on um, is just, it's also a question that was kind of posed when we put out the call for questions is people kind of want to know what do Arsenal exactly need from their six. And I, the way I interpret this is like how important with our structure being the way it is this season, because last season and previous seasons, our six Thomas Partey being very good at kind of cleaning up defensive situations, was Very important to us being able to defend transitions. Um, and there's been a sort of a, an idea within the fan base that that's a bit less important than it has been. I think to um, not today's Sunday's game was a good example of the importance of party kind of being able to or defensive six, should I say, being able to kind of defend because what Darwin Nunes was doing was dropping in, pulling Saliba with him, and obviously, we've already spoken about Ben White pushing up to Simica, so we kind of needed someone with the sort of defensive nose to actually to cover that space that they were trying to open up for, for, for Diaz. So how important do you think the Sixers being like a defensive player versus someone who actually offers stuff in possession?
1: Yeah, this is an interesting question because I think a lot of people assume that um, a defensive midfielder has to be very good in possession. And I, Agree largely that they have to be good in possession, but I think what we mean by being good in possession is very different from what most people mean or think they mean by being good in possession so uh, Calvin Phillips is a great example of that um, when he was at, at Leeds. so any single pivot build up structure um, I think you're using your pivot as a means of facilitating build up rather than progressing the ball fundamentally and primarily um so, yeah, another great example is Rodri at Man City. Like, Rodri obviously will have decent and progressive passing numbers because of the, the sort of team that he's playing in. Uh, and then to a certain degree, like the, the ability of your six to be able to progress the ball will be determined by the system they're playing in. But I think the, the fundamental ability of, of a, I think a six in those situations is that they are able to position themselves well defensively, um, first and foremost. Now, if you can get a player who, is able to read the game well defensively is is good at as you've said fight fighters but can also play you know incisive penetrative passes then you're onto you're onto an absolute winner um but I think f- first and foremost I think the what you're looking for is someone who can do that defensive work but also can facilitate the build up uh and then if you can get a progressive passer on top of that then that's bonus i think but again it depends on the system right and uh, a lot of the time most managers will say the six plays the position according to the skill set that they have so i don't know if you saw this week but Angie postacoglu has lost um um Callum McGregor who's played as six for him while he's been at Celtic Uh, they played Matt O'Reilly there instead he usually plays as an eight and there was questions made about like oh have you changed your system because it seemed like quite different when Matt O'Reilly plays there and and he makes Andrew Postacogli makes the point look we play the same system but different players will play that role in a different way depending on their skill set as well so I think that's one of the key things that I probably say when I'm talking about sixes is that what you, what I think, what fans always do is assume a a sort of fabled perfect six for their team, and I don't think managers think in that way. I think managers think, "What can this player do for me in this role?" Um, and so I suppose that might be the the, the better way of, of of asking it, because I think a lot of fans say, "Oh, Thomas Partey is the best six that we have. Therefore, anyone who's different to him is necessarily worse than him in the role." Uh, And so when it comes to someone like Sam B. Lekonga, people will say, well, he can't do this the same way as Thomas Partey, or he he didn't feel quite the same, therefore it can't be as good. But I I think the question always to ask in those situations is, uh, what is that player bringing to the role um, that that allows us to uh, play the the system that we play um, in a functional way? Um, So, yeah, I'm I'm not sure if that was a particularly insightful answer, but um, I always just think like – facilitation of build up and and defensive work is like the primary role uh for, for, for most sixes. Um and even if you t- even if you take someone like Rodri, like so much of what he's doing is just doing like sideways passing, firefighting, and just sort of keeping everything ticking over. Uh, and that's for the best team that's ever existed. So um yeah, I, I suspect something similar to that would be what, what Arteta would have in mind.
0: I think that it's interesting that you mention like Sambi there and how he differs to party because you said earlier about like the progressive passing is almost like the cherry on top with what you might want. And that's the thing that Sambi's really good at. That is the thing that he brings, but he struggles with that defensive side.
1: Yeah. I mean, I haven't watched enough of Sambi Lakonga to really have any insightful take on him, but, um, yeah, if that's the case, it may, be, it may simply be that, that Sambi's sort of seen as being a backup to the Xhaka position, so someone who's dropping in alongside and is able to move the ball down down the field in that sense. Um, I do think that, that Arsenal are going to have to think about bringing in a, another six at some point. Um, so it'll be interesting to see who they actually go for in that respect.
2: Yeah, it's interesting to say that. I mean, basically, Sambi's been seen as the six when we brought him in, and then it, apparently in the summer... There were kind of reports that Arteta increasingly sees him as an eight. Obviously, now with Nani's injury, he is playing the backup six position. But we're, we've been interested, and in, we did try to bring in a six on deadline day in Douglas Louise and Danilo the day before that, um, hmm. who we're apparently going back in for January, hmm. who, from my limited viewing, seems to be good with sort of press resistance. Not so tidy, technically, in terms of you know nice small passes like Sambi kind of is but a very good defensive sort of ball winner. So, yeah. so that that does seem to be the direction that I, I think Arteta seems to view the role, at least. It's
1: worth saying that Partey is very press resistant as well, actually. Yes, yeah. As, yes. Um, I think that's worth saying. I think he's, he's, he's very useful to have in that midfield because you do have um, that ability now to invert fullbacks so that it can get quite congested in the central space. So that's something worth mentioning as well. I think that if you're playing a six where you're going to invert, they have to be technically good in small spaces as well.
0: Okay, let's move straight on to talking about all the other big games that we have played and we will play this season. John, how does the Liverpool game compare to the other two big games that Arsenal have played against Spurs and Man United this season?
1: Yeah, I think in answering this, I'm just going to fall back on what I've been saying all along, which is that with Arteta, it now feels as though Arsenal have a sort of one size fits all approach. But with the ability to change aspects of that approach. So you are always going to try and, you know, largely possess the ball. It may be the case, as you did against Liverpool, that you may want to bypass the press. Um, you have the ability to do that if you want, but you also have the ability to solve problems in build up in a number of different ways. So we've seen you use a two, three structure. So with, with your two fullbacks inverting around the, the the pivot player and then the two center mid uh, center defenders deeper. We've also seen Ben White usually drop out and form a, a back three, so have a three two structure, uh, particularly against teams actually with two strikers. So it just gives you a little bit more of a numerical superiority in that first line of build up. Um, and then, as we've said, the, we've also seen that four one structure as well um, when you've been playing against teams. I guess that you're worried about the press, um, so you want to just give yourself that extra. Uh, width in the in the early phase as well. So, you you are largely going to try and achieve the same things in every game that you're playing against. And Alex said before. Uh, sorry, Alex Collins, I should say, said before that it feels as though Arteta is being quite bold in these bigger games now, rather than being quite conservative. Um, and I think that's because he now feels much more confident in his team to actually build up from the back and, and retain possession in that sense. And um, I think the beginning of last season. There's a lot of times when we'd see Arsenal doing really good things out of possession uh, against bigger sides, but then not have the ability, if they got ahead in those games, to actually um, retain that lead. And there was issues in possession that meant that you would go ahead and then you would give give goals away, even against lower table sides, right? Uh, whereas now I think it's just so much more confidence in your possession structure to be able to... Um, Hold on to leads that you are happy to go out and be aggressive in certain games, try and get early goals, and then try and sit on on leads as as well so I think that's for me the the difference this season to to last season is that um you are being a little bit more bold in these in these games because you, you one think you can possess the ball in ways that are actually gonna be solutions to some of the problems that oppositions are sending away, but also in off ball situations you can actually cause problems for Uh, opponents as well. So I think in each of the the three big games that we're talking about, there's been slightly different uh, approaches. Um, Although I do think that the Manchester United game and the Liverpool game were maybe quite similar in in some respects. Um, And obviously the difference being that that Manchester United were a little bit more brutal in those transitional moments um, than than Liverpool were. Um, I felt as though you were more I don't know. I don't know whether I think that you were more controlled actually in the Liverpool game, but, um, I, I do think that those are the same sorts of problems and you are able to, um, you are able to mitigate those problems against Liverpool in a way that you weren't in, in the Manchester United game. Um, so yeah, I don't know if that answers, answers your question, but I, I, it, it sort of feels as though you're approaching all of your games in the same way, regardless of who you're facing, but there are, Structural tweaks that are made and decisions that are made tactically that can actually, um, you know, mitigate the problems that oppositions are, are, are going to send your way.
0: If you could pick out from each game one of those different tactical tweaks that Arteta made and be like, "This is the one, the your favourite okay? So <laughs> I'm trying to think of a smarter way of phrasing it than saying your favourite, but pick your favourite one from every game. <laughs>
1: See, I've I've just rewatched the Liverpool game, so that one's fresh in my mind. But I think the one, the thing for the Liverpool game is playing the flat back four and just stretching out their press because it makes them so much less dangerous. Um, so I I would go, I'd go with that one. I actually, watched a little bit of the Manchester United game back as well, and you you're fairly flat against them as well, which I didn't necessarily understand why. Um, but I wondered whether or not that that may be. Was a bad decision by by Arteta because I don't think that that Manchester United's high press is particularly good. So I wonder whether or not actually possessing the ball and maybe trying to invert a bit quicker might have both helped you in the build up phase, but also exacerbated some of those. Uh, not exacerbated, mitigated some of those um, more dangerous um, counter attacks that Manchester United had. But I think a lot of people have said, "Oh, you know, the Manchester United game could have gone the other way." the The Spurs game obviously Spurs fans are like well you know until the moment with Juris, um, you know it was competitive and then obviously the Liverpool game was pretty competitive as well um, and I think that's I think that's used as a bit of a it's used dismissively of Arsenal but I think that considering the way that you've played in the past I think that's a real um, testament to how well you are, have developed um, because I think that's what you want like that you cannot hope for much more than being competitive in these games, and I think Manchester City have just diseased everyone's brains with this <laughs> uh, with this sense that you know you should be to be a, a league winner, you should be dominant in every game that you play. It's just absolutely not true, and so um, I think that's what my, my sort of takeaway from from watching Arsenal in big games this season has been is that in every game that you've played against big sides, you've been competitive, um, and I, I think that's a really good um, sign for for the rest of the season. Something that may be a
0: big factor, I'm not sure, which is why I'm asking the question. Uh, one thing that might be a factor in the fact that we've been more competitive in these games, especially against Spurs and Liverpool, is that both of these games have been played at the Emirates in front of a crowd that has been noted as being very loud, very buoyant at the moment. Do you think Do you think we're going to struggle more uh, when we play the reverse fixtures later in the year? That's
1: a good question. Um...
2: We got the tactics, got to talk intangibles to us. Let's go. Yeah, hell yeah.
1: I mean, the the, the prime rule of intangibles is that you could admit that they exist, but you can't really say much about them. So (laughs) I'm happy to admit the existence of intangibles. But the sense that I get is that looking at the fact that you played against Manchester United and lost that game away, but you were still competitive in that game, uh, I suspect that you probably won't see a massive drop-off when you... When you're playing away from home obviously it's another aspect of why you may come out of those games and not win um but again i I do think that it's it's these are going to be fine margin games i don't think you're going to go to the whatever they call the new white Hart lane the this tottenham stadium and and get completely turned over necessarily yeah i don't i don't think
2: it's going to change our approach much either i think maybe the united game is the one where i would say we started off more conservatively and allowed And allowed the opposition team to actually play their game. But at the same time, that's also... That fixture, specifically at Old Trafford, has been something that's hung over our heads since Fergie time. So I think the way we kind of responded to that game, to going a goal down, even to when we went... what I think it was 2-1 down, and then we made all of our subs. like And the way the team played, I think, shows that it's not just... We're not just getting pushed by the crowd. I think there's a genuine belief... And hunger within the team, and I think another thing that kind of goes back to what John was speaking about earlier about our structures, is what really struck me in that game, uh the United game, was the fact that we brought off our our left back in that game, and we put Martinelli to to left wing back. I mean, now it's something that already I feel comfortable being like Arteta might do this in this game, but like back then versus Old Trafford, that's something new that we hadn't really seen from Arteta before this season, just the faith that he has in the system and. And players knowing their roles, you know, if, if Martinelli gets pushed back, he knows what spaces he needs to protect. I think that's something new that we've seen. And I think it, it all kind of comes together. I don't know if this is really still talking intangibles at all, right? But I think it all comes together that there's a team that is really confident in knowing what they're doing and what they're supposed to be doing in possession. I mean, if I had to put it down, you know, kind of going off on another tangent, but I think I also agree that the United and the Liverpool games were very similar. I think one of the big differences which we just a lot less switched on in key moments in the middle, which does kind of come down to, unfortunately, I love I love watching Zombie, but I think he's someone who reacts a second late to everything. And that makes a big difference, especially when you've got guys like Bruno and Eriksen and who can play those passes, right? So, so yeah, I mean, I think we're going to play the same sort of game if we go away. I mean, it depends. Maybe if we go against Man City, where we know that they can just do whatever to us, like we we might change it up. I think Gauteta is a coach who does get to that point where he makes he he's not afraid to be conservative in a way if he has to be. But I don't think he's had to be this season and I don't think he's gonna feel when he goes to Spurs maybe or when he goes to to Liverpool, let's say that they're still like, you know, a team that we kind of see as our equals. I don't think he's gonna suddenly shut up shop.
1: Yeah, and I think momentum's important as well, right? So you've just had these two games where the results have gone your way. So you will now and I heard uh Saku talking about Saka talking about this after the game, saying, you know, these are these are the games we usually struggle in and he the impression he was giving was that actually now we see Liverpool as a very beatable team. Um and I think those those things are important. They, the the ability for a team to go to a, a way to a place and say, look, we've beaten these guys at home. It was much easier than we expected it to be, therefore we'll carry this momentum with us into the into those next fixtures as well. So we had a
0: question, funnily enough, from a Spurs fan, a Twitter user out at Count Spurula, which I'm definitely not pronouncing correctly. I
2: don't think there's a correct way. <laughs> so. I, no,
0: I no idea. It's a Twitter handle. You know what they're like. Uh, but he asked, there was once a plan hatched to simply kill the Batman. How do we simply kill the Arsenal? Uh, which is an incredible question that I am interpreting as, uh, what do you see as our weaknesses at the moment how do you think other teams can get at Arsenal right now
1: yeah like I've said I think the 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 weak part of all of these high possession positional systems is always going to be defensive transition right and there's a reason why these elite coaches lie awake at night stressing about it because they know that you can dominate the possession and this is what happened against Liverpool right you dominated the, the the game really in terms of possession right? which doesn't mean anything, as people will gladly tell you. But all it takes is a couple of, you know, incisive attacks and then you're conceding two goals. So I still think that Arsenal have a long way to go in terms of their defensive transitions. Um, I think you're too open. Um, not only do I think that you are too open in transition, but I also think that you are giving the ball away a lot in dangerous situations, right? Um, so the the sort of Jack Grealish conundrum. Everyone thinks he's shit, but he actually never gives the ball away in in any sort of dangerous situation. So um, I think those are probably the those are the areas where you know you can get shit stomped by um, by Manchester United, right? And and people can read that as well. Arsenal are good, therefore Manchester United must be good, right? Because they beat they beat Arsenal. I actually think that it's just. You know, Manchester United are a me- mediocre team right now. And um in terms of where they should be. Like let's let's get that. Case isn't gonna
2: come after you. I don't think he
1: listens to this. So you're, you're, you're safe here. <laughs> yeah. But they look they're not yeah. they are not the the greatest team in, in terms of like the chance creation side of things. Uh, but they can still, you know, score goals against you and, and beat you. Um so and that is I mean <laughs> every like i say man city have that issue right that's been what's been their undoing and in, in champions leagues uh when it hasn't been pe- being too cute with tactics and stuff so um it's a nice problem to have I, I think that you've got a lot of work to do on that area but i think that's the you can only really start getting better at those sorts of areas when you're good at all of the other stuff right so it's the sort of final frontier it's the the final boss of the positional play team so
2: i don't know if i'm getting too specific but do you do you like pick out specific areas where you think we give or from specific players maybe that you think we give the ball away too easily? Or is it sort of a different game, different problems?
1: Well, that's a good question. I'm just trying to, I'm I'm going to be recency biased on this, but I felt like you were giving the ball away a lot around Martinelli, Xhaka in the Liverpool game. Um, whether or not that is true is, is, it may just be anecdotal and it may just be a few examples that are sticking in my head. Um I get the impression that Martinelli is probably going to be a, a more high-volume dribbler slash creative player anyway, so he's going to be more likely to lose the ball perhaps uh, than someone like Saka on the other side. Uh, certainly, Erdogan. Um, so yeah, I don't I don't know whether or not that's the case, but um, there was a few times where I thought that you lost the ball in situations where you would have been benefited by keeping the ball a little bit longer against Liverpool, uh, especially at a point when you are. You were goals up. Um, but I, I I wouldn't like to say anything more specific than that.
2: Yeah, I think I think that makes sense. I mean the one the one thing that stands out to me less from necessarily a tactical point of view, but I think I remember back to the Spurs game where after they scored the penalty, the next sort of ten minutes or so we were just giving the ball away way too much, just trying to make things happen. We lacked mm. that sort of like Man City response where they just settle down, make sure they build their team up and they build up in a way that they are prepared to kind of win the ball back when they lose it. I think that's still probably something that, and it comes from us being a lot more confident about being able to hit teams when we've lost, when we've gone a goal down or when we've conceded a goal, right? But I think that's probably one thing and it does come from, maybe I'm getting too specific, but like the nature of guys like Martinelli and stuff who just want to immediately force, force something happening right after.
1: I think as well, like, Manchester City have defenders who will just pass the ball around the back all day long. But I don't get the impression that Arsenal players like to pass the ball back to Gabriel. Um, not because he's particularly bad, but I do think that he he can be sort of panicky in possession. He can have a bad first touch and stuff like that. Whereas the thing with Man City players is they just don't ever mess up. They just do like every little <laughs> thing is just done correctly. And those are the things that fans just don't ever appreciate I think so um, Manchester City will be absolutely happy to pass the ball around their fullback and their winger and then play the ball back to the centre-backs move it around the other side in a very deep configuration as well uh, in a way that I don't think we see Arsenal do quite yet either.
0: Moving on from things that we have not been so good at onto some of the things that we have been good at and we've talked about uh, a little bit earlier uh, about how we've done a lot more linking play and a lot more movement and a lot more fluidity uh, in our possession play. Uh, That's come, especially this summer, from the introduction of players like Gabriel Jesus and Alexander Zinchenko, uh, who are able to do that combination play a lot easier than we've found in the past how have these additions changed what we can do in possession compared to last season i know i kind of said it in the question but still
1: this is one of the things that are always sort of thrown at me because whenever i say i didn't used to like arteta but now i do and i think that's because he's got better as a manager there's a lot of arsenal fans who don't like that um i think there's a there's a there's a bunch of arsenal fans who want me to say that uh, you know, the moment of conception, the Holy Spirit came down onto Arteta's mother and imbued him with a <laughs> sense of tactical uh, understanding. Um, and if I don't say that, then my take on Arteta is too negative. But I genuinely do. and I, I don't think this should be too surprising. That I, I think that Arteta has developed as a coach since he's been at Arsenal. His, it, working at Arsenal was his first job. Right. Ignoring the fact he was an assistant manager under, under Pep. It's his first job. And it's not just about tactical ideas being a manager. It's about being able to work with a group of players and get them to enact the, the tactical ideas that you have uh, but also just respond to you as a human person uh, and I think you know there's there's a number of things that will have taken place from that. I've I'm, I'm no doubt whatsoever that Arteta came from Man City with a lot of smart ideas about how he wanted his game model to look and and what he wanted his team to do but it's one thing to have those ideas in your head it's a very different thing to to actually enact them on the on the pitch all of which is a context to the answers that, that I'm going to give you because so, a lot of people want to just say Arteta was a great manager all along and what's happened is we brought in some good players raised the level of the the squad and suddenly Arsenal are very good as so, though like, all you need to do to build a good team is just throw good players together which um, you'd think that anyone following a league which has Manchester United in would know well, is not, <laughs> not, not the case so yeah I think it's it's a combination of things obviously the personnel helps like we we know that Gabriel Jesus is a is a much more flexible player in a centre-forward role than Alexandre Lacazette. Oof, sorry, Alex. <laughs> sorry, Alex. We know that that's impacted the ability that, that Arsenal have to be dangerous in the final third. Um We know that um, Alexander Zinchenko Jin- is fantastic at, at inverting. We know that he's you know, formally played in midfield roles, so that shouldn't be too surprising there. He's also played in a systems... Um, such as <laughs> Pep Guardiola's Man City that, that make him very, um, flexible as well and, 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 able to understand why he's doing what he's doing, right? It's not just being able to play in those positions. You have to sort of know when your triggers are to go inside, when to go into the, um, overlap, when you need to go into the underlap, uh, etc. Uh, so a lot of that stuff is there. Um, you've got Saliba obviously on this list as well. We've already talked about like the, the upside that Saliba, brings and it means that you can push Ben White out to the to the right and you can do all other kinds of things there so yeah absolutely no sense in which he, a lot of what we're seeing this season is to do with the improvement in personnel um, but it's a combination of lots of factors um, and I think that it's testament to Mikel Arteta that he's got to a point where he can move beyond playing fairly sort of stodgy 4-2-3-1s without much invention behind them to playing really sophisticated possession structures a really sophisticated pressing. like that your pressing is incredible i know we're going to talk about it later but like there's very few teams that press as well in a high man-to-man press as, as arsenal in the premier league it causes teams problems We you absolutely battered leads on a number of occasions just by doing that um that is not easy to coach and that is not easy to play. And so, yeah, a combination of, for me uh, of, yes, the personnel, but also Arteta being able to coach these sorts of ideas as well. Sorry, I don't think that was the question, but I wanted to say, I wanted to get it off my chest.
2: I've <laughs> <laughs> seen. I mean, I think I agree. Like, I think part of why it's become so touchy and I, rem- I think you got kind of ratioed at some point by a lot of Arsenal fans upset that you didn't think Arteta was always amazing.
1: I get ratioed by fans of every club. Every day right. now. That's your job yeah. now, so. Well, you know, you, I'm always proved right in the end. I, I've got the receipts for, for Thomas Tuchel. Where's Thomas Tuchel? He's gone. I'm still here.
0: I, I think he was spotted in India recently. I'm he actually was, actually was.
2: He's running He's his done. hair done or something, isn't he, in India? Um, but yeah, I think I think the thing is that it's, it's kind of been a discussion within the Arsenal fan base, like, Back when supporting Arteta was sort of this divisive thing, where half the side, because you get these polarizing sides, half the side wanted to say he is a great coach, he's going to be a great coach, um, and the other half was like, he's basically Lampard, or, he's shit. Um, let me not say Lampard, but but I think <laughs> the reality is that at least time. from <laughs> yeah, we keep it quiet. Um, <laughs> the the reality is that I think that. The way I see it is that he came in and you could see the promise immediately in some sort of things in terms of the, the, the ability to change the structure. When he first came in, we were playing terribly. He immediately put in a good defensive structure. Not a structure we really play with anymore, but just got us organized. Um, and then there's also sort of things like the ability that like you spoke about, the human aspect. He's had that from the beginning. I mean, as bad as we got around about December, what two years ago now, before Emil smith had his whole breakouts, as bad as that run got, he never lost the players beyond guys like Ozil, who even showing that like when you've lost a guy like that, and the the rest of the dressing room is still with you. I think that that shows something about your ability to coach and keep people on side. Um, but yeah, he's obviously also had to make a lot of improvements and yeah, develop as a coach. I think that's like, it's a reasonable thing to say. I think it's just he didn't come from nothing, and I think you needed he needed the right players to play his brand of football because no coach comes in, especially a coach who tries to play he the way he does with a team that wasn't technical at the time. We had like Socrates as our main centre back at the time. I think he needed he needed time in that sense, but it's also just fair to say that he's learnt a lot on the job. And I think I think probably the the clearest way to us as fans is the way he's responded with in game substitutions and stuff. Something he used to be terrible at. Um, and also just in general, like his flexibility, something like playing Tomoyasu at, at left back this past game. It feels very like expected within like the current Arteta sort of how we view him. But to like even a year ago, he was someone who was very afraid of changing the, the team in any way until he absolutely was forced to. Hmm. So, so yeah, I think, I think it's fair to say he's developed as well as there was always something there.
1: I, th- I mean, even in the course of last season, right, in-, in the last calendar year, he's developed possessional ideas that weren't there before that. And there's no reason why they wouldn't be there before that, if that makes any sense. So I, def- I definitely think he has learned about build-up structures a-, a lot more in the last year. I-, I just don't think that's that controversial to say.
2: Yeah, I think that's fair. You spoke a lot about basically what Saliba's allowed us to do in terms of defending and also where it's kind of put... Ben White out and all the t- different sort of tactical things that have come with that. Um, so that's on the one hand, like adding him in. And then on the other hand, at the other end of the pitch, you've got Gabriel is who's literally a god by, by my estimations. He's doing everything and he's, he's, he's been the, at least to my mind, the most clear sort of upgrade before we got him in terms of what Arteta wanted, something that Lacazette never had the mobility to really do. So I'm kind of interested. Do you think Saliba's been like, more responsible for our improved form maybe from a tactical point of view or or Yesus in terms of what they offer, what they allow Arteta to do?
1: I'm always going to say the attacking player because I think it's much harder to... Uh, I mean, attacking is doing something right, whereas <laughs> defending is stopping someone from doing something. And you can be a good defender by accident, but I don't think you can really be a good... Uh, uh, well, you can do good defensive plays by accident, but you can't really do good... <laughs> attacking players by accident unless you're Darwin Nunez. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but, yeah, I think like, I think you, if you have Saliba and not Jesus, then you're probably not in the position that you're in right now. I think you're defensively solider, but I don't think you're um, necessarily as dangerous going forward. Um, whereas the other way around, I think you you would definitely be in the top four race with Jesus, but not Saliba, if that makes sense. But Okay.
0: Yeah, I, I, I think possibly the thing that would influence that most is the combination play that we talked about. Like Eddie Nketi is amazing, but you're not going to see him dropping into midfield the way Gabi Jesus does. And that really elevates us.
1: His technical ability is just insane um, in a way that like not many players have in, in the Premier League. And there's, I mean, there's a reason why Man City brought Jesus across from, from Brazil because he's like, he was absolutely smashing the Brazilian leagues Um so yeah, he is a sort of like next level player. Um, he's not like a he's not sort of a, a replacement player for a Premier League side. He is he is going to give you that je ne sais quoi that that actually m- makes the difference, right? I mean, he's
2: he's definitely our best player. I think he's also, you know, easily within the top ten strikers in the world. So yeah. In conclusion, Gabi Jesus. <laughs>
0: So then another question that we had in, came from Owen, and he asked, has Martinelli made the leap? Uh, so before we answer this question, I think it's useful to answer the question, what the fuck is the leap? <laughs> uh, so what, what, what do we mean when we're talking about that?
1: Are you asking me that? Yeah, go on then, John. I have no clue. I have <laughs> no clue what he means by making the leap. But what I will say is that whenever fans think that a player has got better, almost always that is because of the system as well as their development right so i think martinelli probably hasn't necessarily improved a huge amount i just think that the system is just allowing him to do stuff that it wasn't allowing him to do before
2: yeah i think i think the answers are yes and no like i guess martinelli's made the leap but it hasn't been this suddenly what is the, leap, in this, Alex? the <laughs> leap it's a big jump <laughs> a big jump in what it's a very Alex? big jump Mm. No, I think I think what it means is a big jump in performance, right? Like you mm. get the sort of has he had a breakout season, and he is having a breakout season. I think that's that's no, there's no argument there. But in terms of leap in ability, I think it's like a yes or no because the leap isn't really something that's happened quickly. And it's you know I think the reason it looks like it's happened quickly is a because of how we're, we're using him now. Last season we weren't re- we were using him as ho- kind of how we're using Saka now as the guy for the switch, which I think Saka is far more suited to than Martinelli was. And, and yeah, just playing alongside guys like Gabriel Jesus and Xhaka in this role with Sinchenko behind, it adds a whole lot that we can kind of get out of him that we didn't before. But, but I mean, Martinelli's development has kind of been clear over the past while. I mean, when he first came in, there was no real, like, I wouldn't say ability to his dribbling, but he wasn't a particularly clean dribbler. I mean, whether he still is now, that's up for sort of a more aesthetic debate. But he's definitely a, he's definitely good one v one with players, and it kind of comes from stuff we were seeing a year ago. This time a year ago, we kind of learned that. Like I think he spoke about it specifically in terms of what Ateta taught him about being able to slow down and accelerate to kind of throw your your opposing player off. So there has been that development there, but it's not it's not just happened now. It's it's been like little jumps rather than a
1: I think whenever you're talking about something like this the important question is to say like what do you think this player has improved at and to, to really nail down like why you think that that is the case and if you think if if all of your reasons are basically output dependent then you're probably just talking about the system but
2: I think that's a good point I mean <clears throat> what he was doing last season in terms of dribbling and in terms of passing were they were evident last season
1: yeah I I was a big fan of Martinelli last season. I don't feel as though he's necessarily doing stuff now that I wasn't seeing him do back then, but you guys would be a better judge of that, I think.
0: One of the people asking a question on Twitter, Mashir, had quite a long memory, and he remembered that you were one of the early people, John, to say that Arteta's out-of-possession structures were really good. Uh, apparently, you called us the best team out-of-possession, uh, which... I don't know. Maybe you did. I I don't remember it. Uh, but why exactly did you say that back then? And do you think that's still the case?
1: Yeah, I'm surprised I said that they were the best possession. To, maybe I even said that in this podcast. I don't know. I'm not gonna I'm not gonna call Mash out on that. But uh, I was I've, I've been impressed with uh, Arteta's off ball stuff for about yeah but last season. I think was when it really started out. I think there's an early game against Liverpool. <laughs> Do you guys play against Liverpool um, and draw 1-1? Oh, no, it was Man City. City, Man City. City. We lost 2-1. Yeah. We lost 2-1 lost right 2-1, at the but end. You, yeah, We you, were really good that
2: game. Yeah, yeah.
1: Yeah, yeah, really good out of possession as well. Um, and, yeah, I, I have a pet theory that young managers tend to be good at coaching out of possession structures. So there's a number of managers who I think you can – I mean, Scott Parker, weirdly, I think, has at times – coached a a fairly good out of possession structure against Leeds. um frank lampard has done it on a couple of occasions against us um although that could just be fluke uh i've I've still not decided um but i think a lot of younger managers um particularly those who have played a, a decent level of professional football now i think they just understand out of possession structures quite well because and there's certain things about out of possession structures right that are repeatable so you're doing the same thing in every in, in every sort of high or, or mid block or low block, I suppose, situation, you're doing the same thing every time. Um, and so there's so much repeatability that I think that a lot of these coaches just automatically have a sense of how, how to play these systems and, and how to coach them. Um, so I, I, it wasn't that surprising to me that maybe that, um, Arteta was pretty good out of possession, but, I think it, in the course of the last season, I think that we really saw a step up in terms of that obsession stuff because of the, again flexibility. So you could play that really aggressive hybrid press uh, where you go man for man in certain situations and force the opposition to make mistakes. Uh, you can also play that that four four two mid block as well. Other forms of mid block I've seen actually under under Arteta, and it's just one of those ones where when a coach gets a player a, a, a set of players to a stage where they can seamlessly move between different structures um then you know that your 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 coach is is doing a good job so um yeah just even watching the first 15 minutes of the Liverpool game if you just actually watch the communication between the forward line and they're all helping each other out and everyone knows you know if I'm not going for this player then you're going for that player and it, you know this is why I call it a hybrid pressing system because a lot, a lot of those systems you have a couple of marking responsibilities and your 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 marking responsibility is triggered by another player moving. Um so yeah if you if you're really interested in why um Arteta's Arsenal are very good at pressing then I'd recommend watching the first 50 minutes of that game because there's almost never a free player left unmarked. But you're not playing a man-to-man system across the field. So you're you're able to readjust if the ball goes to the other side of the field. Will be, you'll be in the same situation. The, the players nearest the ball will all be covered uh, and there'll be three players on the other side. So the the, the, so the system just um, resets depending on where the ball is as well, which is why I called it a ball-oriented man marking system, really. Um, but yeah, really, really good. Um, and this the flexibility. So you can go into a game and you can say, we're going to do this for the first 15 minutes and we'll switch this and we'll, you know, if if there's a problem, we can actually solve it in the game as well so um, the players get used to being in those systems and, and finding the weaknesses and being able to resolve them uh, on their own terms as well which I think we've seen a few times so I think in the in the Liverpool game maybe Xhaka um, started pushing forward a little bit more just to help out in, in certain situations and that tightened things up a little bit as well so yeah I, I am a bit of a perv when it comes to pressing systems so um <laughs> You'll have to forgive me for that. But yeah, really, I really enjoy watching Arteta's side off the ball.
0: Looking ahead to the rest of the season and the remaining big, big six teams we are yet to play, uh, we are yet to play Chelsea and we are yet to play, of course, Manchester City. Uh, in another world, we have played Manchester City already, uh, but that game got postponed and I genuinely have no idea when it's been rearranged to, if it even has yet. But we at some even... point...
2: In that hypothetical world, it's still two weeks away. But yeah, Uh, we get
0: your point. We are going to play Manchester City at some point. In the hypothetical. Uh, Well, it's not hypothetical. We are going to play Manchester City. We don't have to pretend (laughs) we're not. Um, But what do you think, John, is the best way for Arsenal to approach Manchester City? Pray to the
1: gods and inshallah. (laughs) Okay, fair enough. Uh, Chelsea. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no. With with look, Manchester City have dropped points this season, so you know they're not infallible. Um, notably, I think the game where they struggled was the Newcastle game, and what happened in that game was that Newcastle got Alonso Maximo out into that wide area where teams who play centrally compact rest defenses. Um, which sounds like a horribly nerdy thing to say. But basically, when you're attacking with the ball, you want to make sure that your defensive structure is fairly compact in the central space because it will make your life easier if you lose the ball and the the opposition um, transition at you. Now, the idea is is that because the ball has to go out to a wide area and then come back in if you're running towards the goal, your defenders only have to drop back on a straight line. So it's much easier for you to defend. But the problem is is that when you have a player like Alan saint Maximan, if he's out in the wide area and there's no one marking him, He can just have the ball shelled to him. He can take it down and he can pick up speed before he reaches the player. And that was causing Manchester City problems uh, because I think most other players you just sort of say okay you get the police players running at us we've got a nice defensive structure so we just you know we double up and we 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 deal with the problem but what you're seeing with Ma- some maximum is he was just getting ahead of speed and then just one city player would approach him and he would just go around them and then the other would come to him and he would go around them and so you you're then ending up in this situation where you're allowing the opposition player the optimal conditions to get the the best out of his upside um you don't really have an Alonso maximum i guess yeah, martinelli is good but he's not he's not quite so dangerous in in those sorts of situations so but i think that would be the thing to that's the sort of thing to aim at then is to um is to sort of try and exploit them on the on the counter attack right which is the same as what we've been saying all the way through this in terms of possession positional teams but That's where you get them. Hope that your luck's in when you do these transitions. Get your most dangerous players out wide and and see what you can do.
0: Do you think that Chelsea's Graham Potter, Graham Potter's Chelsea, Chelsea's Graham Potter, could pose a nice tactical counter to Arteta, uh, given that in the past, Graham Potter's Brighton, Brighton's Graham Potter, has uh, (laughs) found it surprisingly easy to get results against Arsenal?
1: Yeah, I mean... Graham Potter is a, an elite coach and he is elite because when it comes to, for me anyway, problem solving, he's one of the best in the world. So he's just super good at like recognizing where oppositions are going to have their upside. And he then is able to find solutions to that. Um So yeah, I think that would be an interesting tactical battle because I think with, with Arteta, what you have is like a very one dimensional structure, which has a lot of capacity for tweaks Whereas with someone like Graham Potter, feasibly he could just play a completely different structure and change things around. Um, so yeah, I would say that, uh, again, at the risk of alienating all of the Arsenal listeners you have, I do think that Graham Potter is a better coach at this point than Arteta. Uh, but I think he has a huge oeuvre, <laughs> a body of work behind him to, to to help him with these sorts of situations. So um yeah, I mean, the thing with Potter is that he's going to try and build up really slowly and get the ball into those in the final third retaining possession and, and then cause problems from there. Um, so I suppose the big question is like, can you stop Potter's Chelsea from building up as competently as they can? Uh, and then in the final third, we're starting to see Potter being much more dangerous in terms of um i think in terms of dynamism um i've just done a video today actually on on potters chelsea and i think they're just they're much more dynamic in the final third there's lots of one touch passing there's lots of passing and moving there's lots more central penetration as well um so yeah it'll be those two things can you stop them from building up and if you can then that you might be able to spring some problems with on them there um i'm not i'm trying to think of what you look like against a back 3 in a in a high press but I'm not really coming up with anything, um, so I need to look into that.
0: Yeah, the the answer is, who knows? It'll be
1: interesting to find out. <laughs> Good podcasting.
0: Uh, anyway, let's move on to the thing that we're all actually here to talk about, which is Leeds. Uh, Leeds have existed this season. Uh, I looked up the table, and the table says they're 14th, but it also says that they have not won since August, which is a long time, but their last win was against Chelsea, which is another big six side. Uh, so... Mr. John Leeds McKenzie, please tell us about Leeds.
1: Yeah, so Leeds, 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 Leeds. I am um, not the biggest fan of the way that we currently are playing football. Because I... you hate Red
0: Bull and Jesse Marsh is Red Bull. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, because because I think that this is a style of football which is which represents the worst aspects of capitalism, and I say that advisedly. <laughs> Uh, what I mean by that is that this is this is outlier football. So the, the general idea is like how can we maximize our utility? Um how can we generate the most value from the least expenditure? This is like proper neoliberal approach to football. Um there is no sense of joyfulness and and there's no sense of responsibility to give the fans anything beyond the the realm of maybe it's more exciting than it is having Tony Poulis as your manager or something like that. Um, and I don't think it works. Uh, I don't think that the this approach is particularly effective in the Premier League, um, largely because of the talent discrepancy that you need for these sorts of approaches to work. Um, all of which is a very negative way of saying that when you play um, a counter-pressing style of football where you're using your press as a means of generating chances uh, and then creating a gen a chaotic game state that you then try to be better prepared than your opponent to, to exploit um I, I just don't think it works very well and the reason why i think that is because we've seen a, a number of occasions this season leads cause problems for teams and then they just bypass the press um because you know the the <laughs> The assumption of a of a and pressing system is that you get the ball into territory that you can then, if you lose the ball, press it back, uh, or you can uh, press against a, an opponent trying to build up. And if opponents are very good at keeping the ball away from those two areas, then you don't have a huge amount left because you don't really have a possession structure because you don't really want to possess the ball. So that's my negative take on leads. Uh, the big question with respect to Arsenal is going to be how do you deal with the press? Um, So do you think that you will build up through it uh, because you have better players and good enough players to be able to do that um, do you think that we'll see a similar build-up structure that we saw against Liverpool who are another sort of high-ish pressing team and they ended up being in a 4-2-4 pressing structure which is basically what Leeds will end up being in I think um, so will that be a way of getting around it or will you simply just say do you know what we're just going to bypass that bypass the press altogether let's get the ball into advanced areas quickly um, and uh, yeah just rely on the fact that our forward line is is going to be dangerous compared to your back line. Um so I think those are the those are the sorts of questions. I mean, we've seen Crystal Palace at the weekend struggle to build through the press in the first half and go go in. It was one one at half time. Um but they only generated one chance in that first half from a set piece. Uh, and then in the second half they came out and they were just more direct. They kept putting the ball into the square of the leads like double pivot and centre backs and just, you know, got the ball forward and looked to look to be direct and they managed to manage possession a little bit better as well. So um, yeah. And then Leeds looked like they didn't really have a huge amount to to offer in those situations. So it's an outlier style. And I guess the big question is like, what will this look like in, um, in, in a, in an arsenal flavor?
2: I can't say I've watched much of Leeds or anything of Leeds this season, I think beyond the Chelsea game. Um, But I think we'll do a bit of both. We'll probably go over the press a fair amount with Ramsdale, uh, depending on who we're actually matching up in midfield. But also Arteta's been our Arteta's uh, our Arsenal side since last season's been pretty good at playing through high presses. I mean Liverpool's is different because they're very good <laughs> with their press. So I think Arteta could well back him, so back us to to play through. It's kind of interesting because I think we used Ben White a lot to play through last season. Now he's playing a bit wider, and as good as Saliba is at resisting pressure, I don't. See him as as penetrative a passer. So or, or someone who actually likes to carry into like a set defense. He's much better when kind of he, he gets the ball in like under pressure and then he can carry it out. So maybe that'll impact how we play through you guys. But but yeah, I think it will probably end up doing a bit of both.
1: I think it could be quite similar to the Liverpool game because I think the the same weaknesses are there. Um so when you end up playing a 4-2-4 kind of press. Um what happens is the fullbacks have to step up. Yeah. Because there's so much space. And so what you can then do is you, you're then playing against a back three one way or another. So you can either try and get in behind the fullback who's stepped up, or you can switch to the other side of the field. So have someone who's isolated. So it might be a good way of playing to have uh, Martinelli isolated on the left, build up on the right, um, do that the sort of uh, overload to isolate that you did last season when you had mm-hmm. Saka, Urdigore, and um yeah, whoever is the right back on that side. And then just always have that. You know, the thing is that even if Leeds press gets quite intense, you know that you've got that out ball to the far side and you can try and get him isolated 1v1 against his his fullback and then, yeah, you can cause all kinds of problems in that way. Sounds fun. Now,
0: there is a question that I promised I'd ask. Uh, <laughs> that question came from Wow Ruddy uh, and it is, would Leeds present more of a difficulty to Arsenal this weekend if Jesse Marsh was... Uh, replaced as a I'm managerial... gonna start that again. Uh, would leads would Leeds present more of a man... Why can't I read anymore? Do you want me to read the question? out for No, you? it's fine. Uh, <laughs> would the leads present more of a difficulty to Arsenal this weekend if Jesse Marsh was replaced as managerial lever puller by a hippo in a hat?
1: Um. Well, I will always bow to uh, well Ruddy's superior knowledge of the uh, of the ability of the hippo to. Uh, <laughs> a lever uh but yeah do you know what why not yes i'm gonna say yes
0: yeah if you in case you're curious i did ask for further information and apparently the lever makes useful adjustments like changing pressing patterns focuses on ball retention or changing the tempo of the match and you throw in strategy hippo noises or giving barcelona the money to pay for all their signings that's right (laughs) that's what the lever does uh and i'm sure it's I, I'm, I'm sure that the hippo in the hat would do a much better job. Uh, and because I like to spend as much time on Alex Collins' enemies list as physically possible, uh, I like to do a score prediction for every game we've got coming up, apart from those against Bodo Glimt. Sorry, Bodo Glimt. Uh, so, John McKenzie, what do you think the result is going to be for Arsenal against Leicester?
1: 2-0 um, to Arsenal.
0: Alex? Three nil. I'm gonna take inspiration from the Smith shirt hanging up behind Alex Collins and say three two to Arsenal. <laughs> I think
1: you're going thirty two 0 That that would be
0: interesting. Uh how many that's like what, three goals a minute roughly?
1: <laughs> Not a minute. There's ninety oh. minutes in a game, come on. No
0: extra uh. time. One goal every three minutes, I think that's what I wanted to say. There we go. That's much more
1: plausible. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Uh,
0: It's been a long old recording session, my brain is much. (laughs) And our final question for the podcast, it's from a good friend of the pods, the first guest of the pods, Mr. Sav, uh, who was quite sad when we didn't ask any of his questions the last time we did a questions round in an episode. So we thought we'd give him special place as the last question we asked Mr. John McKenzie. John, if you were a cooked potato dish... What cooked potato dish would you be?
1: I would be... This is probably the thing I thought about the most in the running order <laughs> in preparation for this. But I think I would be potato dauphinois, just because I wanted to say it. Although <laughs> potato dauphinois is something that, with my, with my slight lactose intolerance, would probably kill me. So. Uh, if, if there's any listeners
0: to the podcast who, like me, don't have a fucking clue what that is, what the fuck is that?
1: So potato dauphinoise is when you you slice the potatoes really thin and then you like place them on like a bed of cream or something or cheese and it's just like you layer up the the potatoes really thinly nice and uh, yeah that it's creamy disgusting. and <laughs> <laughs> well yeah I mean See? I have a lactose intolerance yeah.
2: too, so so that probably factors into it but Alex if you were a cooked potato dish what cooked potato dish would you be I had one for John I went for Hustleback potatoes. They just kind of, it seemed right. I don't know really what they are. <laughs> I went through, I went through, I also did the most prep for this. I went through 75 <laughs> different potato dishes. There were there were some that came close. Southern potato salad, potato kugel, um, twice baked gnocchi potato. is
1: quite fun to say. That's made out potatoes. <laughs> is that made of potatoes? I have no clue. I didn't find it on the 75 potato dishes. So gnocchi are a varied family of dumpling in Italian cuisine. They are made of small lumps of dough most traditionally composed of a simple combination of wheat flour, egg, salt, and potato. Ah. Is that a potato dish? I think so.
0: And I can't think of any better note on which to end this podcast. Uh, Mr. John McKenzie, thanks so much for coming on and joining us. If people wish to find you in the internet, where can they find you?
1: Uh, uh, Twitter, I guess. Just search for... Um, at John underscore Mackenzie John without an H And Mackenzie has an A in between the M and the C And a K And,
0: and there's also a Z in and K. Oh wait, K, K is normal actually
1: Yeah, Well so is a C. C is normal A is normal also I have the normalist of spellings <laughs> of my name it, I, I think me. the Z
0: is a bit of an outlier
1: Not for K, Kenzie though Yeah what, How else would you spell it without a Z? I
0: don't know a, 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 a S <laughs>
1: With an S instead.
0: Anyway, I'm not going to stop. I'm going to stop telling you how to spell t- your name wrong, uh, <laughs> and ask Alex
2: to tell us where you can find him. Uh, Alex F R C O. Uh,
1: yeah, I should be there. No, you don't say F R C O. I was. That's what I say in my head. Alex F R C O.
2: Well, you know, people call me Alex Furcoat, so that, that's that's yeah. how people are, that's how it's developed <laughs> since then. That's that's All my right. name to a certain group of people. Is
1: F R like your middle
2: names? No, you know what, when I first got Twitter, I decided, let me not let everyone know who I really am. So was like, Frederick's my middle name and colleagues is okay. my surname, but that's, yeah. that's gone out the window for a while now. So, but it's too late. I've already committed to being Alex Furcoats. So you've been forced at gunpoint to have a surname
0: by this podcast. <laughs> Pretty much. And if for some reason you want to follow me on Twitter, I'm at Alex Towles, though it is much more useful for you personally, uh, and probably for me, if you follow this podcast instead, at PotShotPodcast. Of course, you can find us on PodFollow now, which will tell you whichever podcast platform you want to listen to us on you can go and find that and please
1: do subscribe to us uh you did on- um you did just say the wrong handle there you said at pot Shop podcast and it oh. it says on the running order at Potshot pod so <laughs> oh my goodness i hate okay. to do your job for you alex but if you want people to actually follow yeah, you at you should probably Point. give the right one yeah, yeah.
0: so Before we started recording, John was like, Alex, why do you have all these things written down? I'm sure you don't need to (laughs) remind yourself to talk to Alex, or what his uh, handle is. And now twice, in the intro and in the outro, John has found out exactly why I write these things down. Do you want me to do the outro
1: for you? Uh, I can do the outro if it's going to be any... Okay, so thanks again, John. You're very welcome. I really enjoyed this podcast. I've always loved uh, listening to every seven episodes that have come out so far. And uh, it's great for me to have a really in-depth Arsenal podcast to do the hard work for me. So, yeah, thank you. Oh, that's great. I'm really glad to hear that you've done that, John. Uh, thank you, James, J.W. Blake on All Good Music platform. He did the music, which I think you'll all agree is very good and very jazzy. Um, and thank you, Alex. Alex. Oh, thank you, John. Thank you, Alex. (laughs) That's good. And um, thank you, all listeners, for listening in. And we'll be back next week to cover what happened when Arsenal battered Leeds. And we'll look forward to the following game, too. So thank you for listening to the Pot Shot Pod. That's
0: better than I could ever do it.
2: (laughs) End.